Welcome everyone to SaaScast, the podcast that talks you through the steps you need to future-proof your product. Whether that's building the ultimate marketing team or taking your products global, our guests will help you grow, scale up and work smarter. Hi Mark, thanks so much for coming on SaaScast today. It's a pleasure to be here. That's great. I think our audiences are really going to benefit from this uh, conversation today. Um, before we get started, I'm just—I'm sure we'd just love to hear a little bit more about your area of exp- expertise and your background and your sort of journey to your current position. Okay, so my name is Mark Sherwood Edwards. I'm a London-based lawyer. Uh, I got a company called Clearview Legal. Client ClearviewLegal.co.uk. If you're interested, look it up. Um, I'm a lawyer that specializes in SaaS and tech, um, and that's across a number of areas like uh, fintech, obviously, prop tech, med tech, SaaS generally, really. Um, like a lot of lawyers, I started off working law firm, then went in-house, became head of legal and so on. Um, I stopped uh, working for a lawyer for a bit. I was working as uh, head of sales and service realignment for a company that was trying to fix its sales and service. Um, I then stopped doing that. I was looking around for the next thing to do. People kept asking me to do legal things for them. So I kind of went back to being a lawyer and that's what I that's what I, I now do. I've been doing that now for I think 10 years on my own. Um yeah, and I kind of specialize in, in SaaS contracts. That's great. And you know, at Future of SaaS, we're we're always trying to sort of uh, our main goal is to kind of help SaaS startups to scale. And obviously that that's um looking both at the buyer and seller perspectives. Um when you're looking to scale, you're wanting to build out your tech stack, um, form a lot of crucial partnerships, but also obviously sell contracts to businesses or individuals. So I'm just wondering, like, if we could hear from your perspective, why is because that was my very kind of brief rundown of it, but from a the ex your expert perspective, why is it so crucial? for SaaS companies, especially startups, to have such a firm handle on this? Okay, well, I think as you point out, there's two sides. There's the buy side and then the sale side, when you're buying SaaS and when you're selling SaaS. Um, let me talk about the buy side first, right? There's a number of things which you'll get technology, which you'll get via, uh, delivered by, affected by a SaaS. Some are important to you and some are not. Um, Gmail, for example, right, is important, but it's a commodity. You can get it from someone else. You don't, it doesn't matter who you get it from. Um, so we're not concerned about that. What, what would be concerned on the buy side is foundational SaaS, kind of technology that's, that's foundational for your business. A good example would be, let's say you're starting a bank uh, and you can get your uh, banking technology from Mambu, right? Well-known supplier of SaaS banking technology. That's a critical contract for your business. If that contract falls over or there's a problem with it, that impacts your business directly. Uh, similarly, if you're a payments processor, you might want to get your foundational contract. You might get a contract from Marketa, gives you the whole infrastructure, uh, and that will be kind of that's key. Uh, so you need to get that right. That's slightly different to people like um, getting cloud capacity from uh, Azure, AWS, Google, those guys. That that's I put more on the commodity side, and you can't renegotiate with them much anyway. So I'd separate those out. That's the buy side. Then on the sales side, um, and I'm talking primarily here about B two B sales when you're selling to business rather than selling to 
consumers because you're you can't in most countries the terms of sale to consumers are pretty much dictated by the law by the general consumer protection duties there's not much you can do but if you're selling to to, to business there's a potential for lots of negotiation involved um, and that means there's an impact of cost because the longer you spend negotiating, the more costs you incur. Uh, there's an impact in terms of customer friction. Like, um, you know, you're trying to have a good business relationship with them, and it starts off with a painful negotiation. That's not a great way to, to, to start. Uh, it delays time to cash, greater risk of losing business to competitor. Um, if you've got sales guys who spend the time dealing with contracts, that's time they're not out selling. Uh, if you get uh, management getting caught up in contracts, that's time they're not actually managing the business, incurring the business. There are lots of direct uh, and indirect reasons to make sure you've got a, a good, intelligent way of handling your contract. That's really great. So you kind of touched on there, I think, some of the some of the pitfalls that you see. I think we should go more in detail, maybe about about those from both perspective again. Like, what are the what are the most common mistakes that you see as a result of maybe SaaS companies not taking enough time to really um, streamline their, their contract negotiation process? Well, the, the, the primary problem is people don't think about it enough to be absolutely blunt, right? So I'm a, there's this Eisenhower quote, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, uh, the plan is nothing. Planning is everything, right? By which he meant, you know, it's a bit like, you know, the battle plan changes at first contact with the enemy, right? So you chuck it out. But if you've done all the thinking behind it, then you know you're you're well positioned to move forward. Um, the the danger on the on the buy side is that you right. If you think back uh, a couple of generations of technology to the on-prem world, right, the pre-SaaS software world. Uh, and if you were getting uh, software in, that software would sit in your server uh, and the data would be on your server. And your, the software vendor could go bust and fall over. Uh, you still have your data and the software would be unsupported, but you could probably manage a year, two or three. Yeah? You, could, you, know, you, had a, you had a margin of, of error, which would help you keep going forward. Here, you've got a, an issue that if your software vendor falls over or there's a problem with the contract, all your key data is sitting on, on somewhere else mm -hmm. and not, not controlled by you. And you, you know, you don't have the functionality anymore. The software is not on your server by definition. Uh, you know, and 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 you're stuck. So you need to think about how to handle that uh, well. Now, if you're a buyer, you have a lot, of, even if you're a small buyer, you have a lot of negotiating, negotiating power. What people tend not to think about is how to uh, deploy that negotiating power to most effect. What people tend to do is they will they will kind of agree. Uh, I don't know the price is this and the term and the vague term is is, is five years, say. Um, and yeah, maybe there'll be some break clauses, and that's all they do. And when they get to the contract negotiation, they get. They are very exposed because, frankly, the seller does these contract negotiations, you know, a number of times a month, and they're doing this particular negotiation once a year, once every two years. So there's a natural imbalance of expertise. 
Um, to give you an example, I I, uh, I was acting for some clients and they had, and so what happens, sorry, I'll interrupt myself, the lawyer gets involved too late and it's quite hard to fix the problem at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and a good example was I was uh, helping uh, a company negotiate a, a contract and the proposal back from the supplier said there'll be a break clause. Now the contract ended up being a five-year contract, whether it should have been a five-year contract or not, at a separate point. The, the, the break clause, and actually the proposal said there will be break clauses, plural. Only the seller would only agree to one break clause at year three. And there was a price attached. So you had to be paying, you had to buy them out for years four and five. So technically there's a break clause. Economically, there wasn't really a break clause. So effectively, the buyer was getting stuffed because they had not thought through and worked through the issues early enough. Oh, right? So that, you know, that's a kind of foundational one where it, where it matters. What happens on on the sales side is right. When you think about your your if you're a seller, the way to approach it is you think uh, high touch, no touch, low touch, high touch, right? Think about your user base or your potential customers that come in through the door. Uh, there's some people who will be uh, no touch. They'll just sign the document or click on I accept or whatever you know DocuSign or whatever means you're using. There's some people who will want need some care and attention, those are the low touch. And there's some people, and it may be their character, or maybe it's a much bigger contract, uh, and that's high touch, and they need much more care and attention. You need to be thinking about designing your process so you're pushing as much as you can to the low touch, mm -hmm. or the no touch of the low touch. Or the, or the uh, and then that frees up your resources to concentrate much more on the, the, the big ticket, high touch people. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you get more people? A good question would be how do you get more people to the no touch, right? Yeah. Uh, because that's kind of what, what you really want as a vendor is people just to sign your contract and not ask any questions, right? That's the ideal state that you're aiming for. You may never get there, but that's kind of what you're aiming for. Um, and there's a number of ways to approach that. One is to, a lot of it's to think about it from the buyer's point of view. There's only about eight, eight issues which a SaaS buyer will typically be concerned about. Um, and they are things like, um, am I locked in? How, you know, how, how can I exit when I need to exit? Um, uh, what about my data? Can I retrieve my data whenever I need to? That's yeah. the picking. Um, what about the GDPR issues? Am I protected? Um, will I look like a fool to my boss if I've signed something up and it goes wrong? Uh, information security, you know, is that, am I getting uh, information security or not? Uh, what do the service levels look like? You know, will I sign up to the contract and then they get, then my the vendor I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with uh, gets seduced by someone else and spends all their effort dealing with someone else. So that those, there's only about eight key issues that anyone buying SaaS will be concerned about, and it, which means that if you're selling SaaS, these come back eight key issues that you should be thinking about from their point of view. If you can explain those issues ahead of time to them and get, get them comfortable, um, then it makes the whole contracting phase a lot easier. Um, and I think people miss a lot of opportunities on that. So, for example, 
take information security. You could easily have in your on your uh, website a little video explaining why information security in this for your particular uh, SaaS offering is really good. Right. You don't, and then when people come to look at the, the contract, see what it says, provided it doesn't say anything uh, radically different, uh, you kind of smooth the way to make the contract that much that much easier to to, to sign. I see. So it's it's kind of about utilizing, leveraging your technology and your resources to kind of deal with the low touch part, uh, the easy solutions, and then freeing up human yeah. personnel yeah. to deal with more complex issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. that should be your general approach. Is you know, how can I make it easy for the customer to sign? I'm just going to pause you right there to tell you all about the future of SaaS membership. Whether you want to grab one of over 90 templates covering everything from product marketing to customer success, read our exclusive members-only articles with SaaS gurus from the likes of Calendly, Klarna, and LinkSquares, sit back and watch over 1,300 hours of presentations from SaaS experts to some of the world's most trusted brands, or catch up on insights gleaned from the future of SaaS and its 14 sister memberships and their private communities, our membership plans have it all. On top of this, enjoy complete access to our virtual events and discounts to our in-person summits. The membership plan is designed to give aspiring and fast-growing startup leaders the knowledge required to grasp every element of the SaaS landscape, tapping into tried and tested business-wide strategies employed by some of the biggest and brightest companies, both startups and enterprises. To become a member, just head over to www.futureofsas.io and click the membership button at the top of your screen. Now, back to the episode. Now, one of the things you often come across, uh, and it's quite bizarre, I think, is you get these, you come across a modern SaaS company, um, and it's got a fantastic website. It, you know, the way it talks about itself is great. It, culture, its culture is great. Really, you know, customer-oriented, customer-facing, very open. Um, and then their contract arrives, and it's something a bit like the medieval ages, right? It's kind of uh, aggressive, uh, uh, I mean, it's not aggressive, it's passive-aggressive, very one-sided, uh, yeah. look, looks incredibly ugly. And, and the American contracts are the worst of this. They look like, I don't know, something from the 1950s. I mean, they're still using that that kind of, is it courier font? The kind yeah. of the, the font you people get on typewriters. Uh, <laughs> things in capital letters. It's, and, you, and you kind of think, well, hold on. You know, who am I talking to? I thought you were kind of, yeah and friendly approachable and suddenly this kind of thing you know from you know from the seller emerges um and there's a kind of huge disconnect and you know contracts don't need to be like they can they can look they don't have to look like works of art right but they can look kind of decent they can look they can respect the styling that the rest of the company has let's put it that way um you know clauses don't have to spread spread over two pages in kind of long, you know, you know, sentences with you know ninety-two words in them. Yeah. Um, the stuff can be written in a way that is easy for people to understand and and, and approachable. And is and, and frankly, you, you take the view it's kind of plain and rude to put in front of someone or kind of really complicated contract where where had you make a bit more effort, it would be kind of easier for for the would be customer to understand. So we're sort of going back again, I suppose, there to like kind of how if you just get the easy things right, 
it can make the process so much smoother. You know, I mean, there's a more, I mean, if you, you're seeing people, I mean, just the, just the presentation of the contract, as you were saying, it's not a hard thing to get right. I'd imagine if you put a bit of time into it, but it can have absolutely disastrous con- um, consequences. I mean, you as a customer um, would not feel like your data was, was secure with somebody who gave the impression perhaps that they weren't as professional as they seemed on their landing page. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And then, so there's that issue. And then yeah. there's that time spent, time wasted talking about it. Yeah. Um, you know, then there's the kind of frictional element in it. You know, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a it's not a great place to be if you if you can avoid it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I suppose um this is kind of what I wanted to, to go on to next is just the, the sort of frictionless, making it frictionless, the process. I mean, is that just a case, do you think of, like you said, having lots of doing preparation beforehand, making sure you've got these processes in place? Uh, like, what do our contracts look when we send them out, for example? Um, do we have somebody who's advising us on these things? Do we know, do we have personnel within the company who understand these things? How is it exactly like? What what do we need to put in place initially to make sure that these that, that this isn't a problem when we well, get? To- I, well, I think the first thing to do is to appreciate it, that it recognise it as a process, right? Yeah. Uh, most SaaS companies will be put together people with a really good understanding of the technology, um, and and what the customers are looking for, and that's kind of and that correctly is their primary focus. Yeah. But actually, you know, and then when they get the contracts, they're kind of moving slightly out of their area of expertise. But even lawyers, I mean, very few lawyers, uh, lawyers are trained to work by the hour, right? And that means if, if you're bidding by the hour, ineff- inefficiency is your friend. Be absolutely blunt, right? So this, the, the legal culture is not a culture that thinks about process and efficiency. But actually, uh, closing contracts is a particularly if you're doing uh, multiple SaaS contracts, you know, a month uh, is a process, and you need to start thinking of it right from the start as a process. Yeah. What o- often happens is um, the the you know that people sign the first contract, hooray! Then they get a few more contracts, you know, still hooray! And then the whole thing suddenly is kind of evolved in a kind of unthought through way. Mm-hmm. What what then t- tends needs to happen people need to go back and think about it okay how can i make this as easy for my customer as possible what does it look like from process point of view what inputs do i need uh from um you know to 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 bring the contract together to make it as 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 efficient and smooth as possible i think the primary time directly answer your question our primary thing is to think of it as a process not just as a a series of ad hoc interventions which yeah. don't have any kind of relationship to each other absolutely yeah I, th- I think most perhaps a lot of SaaS companies especially like I think we're probably this is probably a problem that's tied in um it's an inherently kind of with SaaS in terms of we've seen because of SaaS we've seen this kind of democratization of technology startups you know whereas perhaps we have you know we have people starting tech startups left right and center basically yeah. who maybe you know have, have been to good universities and know a lot about technology 
but perhaps that it's just something that they haven't even considered the fact that what they're creating here is business and they have to fall within um the kind of the legal pr- uh, guidelines of, of the country that they're operating from for example and also like you said that, that maybe they haven't considered how um how time consuming and how costly the, the the process can be certainly i think that, that is probably what the issue that you that you're pinpointing there yeah, yeah, and and if they classified it as part of customer onboarding, right? Yeah, they would yeah. they would probably take it a bit more, pay more more attention to it. Um, yeah. yeah, because it well actually we do talk a lot on the blog about customer onboarding and the importance of it. But funnily enough, I haven't seen that tends to be more about kind of the discovery phase of the customer journey from what I've read when perhaps they're going on your landing page and they're going through the, the tutorials and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting that you would highlight the contract as part of the onboarding process. Of course, that is a that is a pivotal part of it, I'd imagine, you know? That's what that's when uh, perhaps you you can potentially scare a lot of people away, you know? Well, in the, yeah, in the B2B world, definitely. I mean, in, the, well, in terms of classifications, I the way I, here's the way I look at it, there's sales, right? Sales is a process of taking someone who's never heard of you up position that they want to buy from you okay so that's sales is up position they want to buy from you then there's they want to buy from you up to the they sign the contract mm-hmm. and i call that the sales contracting process that doesn't get that much sales gets loads of attention as a concept and stuff the sales contracting process from customers taking decision that they want to buy to actually signing the contract gets a very little attention strangely but it's a key process now you can think of it as two ways you can think of it as uh as part of uh, customer onboarding which it is uh you can think of it also as sales enablement which yes. it also is right because the whole point of sales is not to stop at the decision that, you know customer wants to buy the whole point of sales is to get the customer to actually buy and if it's b2b that means some kind of contract where there's a clicked on contract of wet signature, a docusign signature, at some point a contract has to be there for the cash to move over. Generalization. So people tend not to think about uh sales contacting process, but actually as you know, and in the first the first few customers, you know, you wouldn't, right? You're so you're so thrilled to have signed people up that why would you what why would you bother? But as soon as you get past that stage, it does become an issue and you need to start focusing on it, in my view. For this kind of process to be in place, do you need to, would it be worth, do you think, training staff on this kind of thing? Or is it worth bringing somebody in? Like, what do you think is the most, the most effective way of ensuring these processes can work? Uh, I think you definitely, so I'm doing, uh, I'm doing a couple of projects on at the moment with, with clients that, um, I've got uh, SaaS products and are revisiting their uh, sales contracting process because they know they you know, they've got growth opportunities and they need uh, to make sure that their process is as efficient as possible um, for to, to maximise opportunities in, in, in front of them. And in both, so on one of them, it's uh, they've got a kind of sales team about five or six people strong, and we've had a workshop with. Now, what are the problems they're experiencing so far with existing contract, right? Because you do, what you don't want to do is develop stuff in, in isolation. If you've got experience of something, you know what the pain point is, develop a process to recognize those pain points. 
Yeah. So we're, we're redoing the, the contracts to, to recognize the pain points. Um, and I will be providing training uh, to the set. Part of this is to just make the sales guy, this is a part of this is just to make the salesperson's life easier, right? They want to be out there closing deals. The company wants them out of closing deals. Anything which helps them get out there closing deals is a good thing, right? So explain how the contract works to them with the extent that they don't understand. You know, if the, if the buyer says X, you can say Y. Um, so basically, I trained them up, I trained up to do the, the kind of a lot of the first first level of contract discussion. So it doesn't come back to the legal function. They they can deal with it. And sales guys are, you know, bright people, mm -hmm. right? They've got good interpersonal skills. They pick issues that quickly. Um, if you can, you know, just need to give them the right tools, and they'll get on and, and do ninety percent, ninety five percent of the work, if not more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 probably it's they've probably done the hard part by the time they get to the sales bit, haven't they? Because I mean, sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, sales, have be, yeah. Yeah, you have to be a certain kind of person to do it. Certainly, like it's very kind of um, not just in terms of being bright, but in having that that drive. Yeah, I think um, it definitely takes a certain kind of person. So again, I think you well, you you're pinpointing a there's kind of been a recurring theme here, which is just. If you do a little bit of preparation, um, you can save yourself a lot of trouble later on. You know, you could be do the hard bit and then don't fall down on something that's potentially easy as long as you have a process in place. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're the, the owner of a company or the founder, I mean, good salespeople are hard to find, right? Yeah. And if they're caught up in a process which has a lot of contractual faffing about, you know, yeah. you'll get a lot of churn because they will want to move somewhere where they don't, they can keep, you know, they can do more contracts per year because there's more, there's less fiddling around the contract because the self-contracting process is more efficient. So yeah. if you want to hang on to good salespeople, you've got to make it easy for them to be good salespeople. Yeah. Do that way. Yeah. I suppose if that kind of works, you keep, we keep coming back to again, like efficiency and speed and i think that's that's again going back to the buyer and seller perspective wherever you're going like that is that is really paramount for SaaS companies regardless if you're looking to you know when you're looking to scale i think if you look at it from that perspective that sort of um really like shows why the most important thing is to be efficient because you want to be you don't want to waste time and money dealing with contracts that aren't going to go anywhere or trying to sell to to clients that aren't going to sell you know who aren't going to yeah. buy so that's why i think um i think it's important for this discussion to highlight why um good contract negotiation is is will enable you basically attempt to to scale faster through higher efficiency definitely yeah. agreed yeah. yeah that's really really great um so before we round off this discussion mark i was just wondering is there anything that we haven't touched on that uh, SaaS companies really need to know about when negotiating contracts? Contract duration and, uh, uh, well, uh, well, let's start with contract duration and that, uh, well, contract duration and pricing, when you structure your pricing. Mm -hmm. The tendency, right, contract duration is a double-edged sword, right? Once you've signed the contract up, the customer up to a long-term contract, you think, hooray, you know, I've got a long-term contract. I've got great annuity revenue. 
-hmm. Of course, before you sign the contract, customer, right? When you try to sign them up, a long contract duration is a disincentive for the customer to sign up because customers don't like uh, to be locked in. So, and and I think what what I've seen a lot recently is because people have investors, you know, VCs or otherwise, VCs like to see annuity revenue, right? It makes a bit, they see it on their spreadsheet, it makes them feel accountable. But what the spreadsheet doesn't show is the customers you've lost because you're insisting on a, you know, a long contract term. And so I think how the emphasis on that kind of long-term annuity revenue can be very, uh, very dangerous. Um, and if you've worked in a kind of outsourcing world, um, but I've heard this um, mentioned recently by a kind of leading uh, SaaS CEO, on a five-year contract, the first six months is a honeymoon period. The next period, the vendor loses interest, right, because they're too busy doing other stuff. And the last period last 12 months if somebody realized they're about to lose the contract and and they take the customer much more seriously suddenly but which point is too late mm. there's there's a danger of locking people in too long that you take the company as a culture becomes complacent mm. um, and ability and if you give people the choice to leave they're not happy with the service then you're much more likely to, to, to build a company that is culturally on its toes and is always paying attention to what the customer wants but I, I put that out there. I mean, people. No, it's, it's great, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. a different view. Another one is is, and this is a carryover from the on-prem world, right? People often price by user because they can't think of a better metric. It's an easy metric. Um, so you pay, you know, five authorized users, ten authorized users, whatever the number is. The problem with that is that what you really want is your software to be endemic in the business mm -hmm. you want it to, you want to be the adoption of your SaaS to be mm -hmm. as pervasive in the business as possible mm -hmm. if you price per user then you're putting a break on pervasiveness right oh uh, you know this guy can't use it because he's the 11th and we've only got licenses for 10. so uh, for some for some a lot of SaaS businesses, not all, it might be better not to price by user. Find an art, find it. No, let's say your, 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 your SaaS is helps people manage uh, fleets of cars. Price by the number of cars in the fleet, not by the number of users. Make the software as pervasive as possible. Don't put a, don't put a disincentive on pervasiveness of your software, of your SaaS in the business. Are there any key resources? That our audiences can turn to for some guidance for more guidance on this or to read more on this subject uh and it's called and it's about what i call these i call meta legal issues right not what it says in clause 15.2 about how to approach business how to approach you know these kind of things we've been talking about mm -hmm. um and it's called uh uh oh lordy lordy spelled l-a-w-d-y exclamation mark so showing some legal humor there um, and if people are interested, uh, drop me in, and it comes out, uh, it's, it's quite short, it's aiming for less than 300 words each time, um, and people are interested, they drop me an email uh, at uh, mark at clearviewlegal, clearviewlegal, one word, dot co UK. 
marketclearuniqual.co.uk and say, you know, subscribe me in the footer, you know, in, the, in the subject line, uh, yeah. then I'll, I'll add you to the list. See if you like it. If you like it, good. If you don't, just, you know, block it or unsubscribe it or just ignore it. And that will give you um, this, this kind of stuff. So I think one of the ones coming out would be about the contract term discussion we had. The previous one was about the pricing point I just made. Uh, I did in this series called um, On Being Battered by a Large Bank. What happens if you're selling to a large bank, a big procurement department, come in the room and stop beating around the head? What do you do about it? That's a horrible image. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's, an, it's, it's an image, but it, it happens at the verbal, <laughs> at the verbal level. I like the, I like the catchy terms you've come up with. Uh, yeah, it's way, way with words, certainly. Good. <laughs> Afterwards. <laughs> oh, um, thanks so much, Mark. I mean, I, like I said, I, I don't think this is a discussion that many um, sort of SaaS thought leadership hubs are having, actually. So I think this is really going to be beneficial. And um, thanks so much for shining a light on a topic that I think not enough people are talking about. Good. Okay. Thank you for joining us on this episode of SaaScast. Please join us next time for more top insights from the leading minds in SaaS.